Here we go. It's January the 9th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. And this is our first time back in the year 2023. And we're going to be taking a look at the lessons for the second Sunday after the Epiphany, which is going to be on January the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2023. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 49. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the Holy Gospel, which we're going to examine right now, is from John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. John 1, 29. Now, for almost the last five weeks, we've been talking quite a bit about John the baptizer. And the reason that is, is because his ministry is an important ministry, especially if one looks at it from a law and gospel point of view. Because John came preaching the law in order to make way for the coming of Jesus with the gospel. Now, how can we understand that? Well, we've said it enough times, but just to review, especially for our new listeners, the law tells us where we have gone wrong in following the will of God. It's called sin. And John the baptizer reminds us of our sin and our inability to get rid of that sin. Therefore, we need to look outside of ourselves in order to get rid of those sins. And that's what the purpose of the baptism of repentance was, that the baptism of repentance prepares for the coming of the gospel. It's kind of like when you go to a doctor, you may not be feeling very well. And so he does a test to see what is wrong. And once you hear what is wrong, well, you're not very happy about it because what you need to hear is more than the diagnosis. You want to hear the treatment. John preaches the diagnosis. Jesus does that also. In the Gospel of Mark, for example, at the beginning, he talks about that the two things he is there to preach are repentance of sins and the Holy Gospel. Uh, for, for example, people look at the story of the Good Samaritan, and they often think of it as a way in which God is telling us we're going to be saved by what? Loving our neighbor. But upon closer examination of the Good Samaritan, we find out that that is really a preaching of John the baptizer that Jesus does in showing that nobody can love their neighbor well enough to be saved. In, in other words, the law reminds us of our sins, 
It mirrors our sins. It does not get rid of them. So let's take a look at John chapter 1, and we begin with verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, where is John getting that information? Well, first of all, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember, before he was even born, John the baptizer was filled with the Holy Spirit as Gabriel promised to his father. We know that because John leaped in the womb of Elizabeth when he was six months old, when Jesus, who was only a few hours old in the womb of Mary, entered into the house of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth explains that John did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that verse in and of itself shows that God can create faith in even someone who is not yet born, let alone an infant who receives that faith in holy baptism. The idea of the Lamb of God, this was obviously referring back to a number of times when the sacrifices were done by the people. The best one I can think of, of course, is the Passover, where God commanded the believers to sacrifice a lamb, put its blood over the doorway, and the angel of death would pass over. And of course, that wasn't done in Pharaoh's house, so the oldest son of Pharaoh even died. And it moved Pharaoh to allow the people of Israel to leave Egypt. But that didn't last very long because he chased after them. And that was a big mistake as his army was drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. But the lamb is often characterized as that sacrifice that pointed forth to the Lamb of God, who is none other than Jesus Christ. And why did he become the sacrifice? To take away the sin of the world. How did that happen? Because in dying for that sin, he paid the ultimate price. And what was the ultimate price? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone on the cross? And the answer is that the entire payment for our sins was paid for by Jesus the Christ. John continues in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, what's John the baptizer talking about there? He's talking about 
that Jesus existed before him. That was a big argument that Jesus had with the unbelieving Pharisees, that even before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus had to exist even before Abraham, which means he is God, because God never had a time when he was not existing. And therefore, John the baptizer talks about Jesus as coming before him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, what is John talking about there? Well, he came with a baptism of repentance. He did not provide the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is going to be up to Jesus to do on the day of Pentecost. But he provided a way that people could come to an understanding that they had a need for a savior because he would tell soldiers how they were to behave before almighty God, not to take riches of those that they had captured and other items. In other words, the baptism of repentance resulted in people being sorrowful over their sins that they had done by thought, word, or deed. Therefore, he says, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gives a reason how he had come to know that Jesus was the Savior. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, now who's John talking about? Well, he's talking about God the Father, who had commissioned John the baptizer to baptize with water. And God the Father told him, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John says, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, John the baptizer would have known that as he grew up talking with his mother Elizabeth and also probably having conversations with Mary. He knew that Gabriel had come to her and said that she would conceive and bear a son and he would be the son of God. We call him the only begotten son of God because that's how the Bible refers to him. He's the only begotten. But we are also 
sons of God. Even women who are believers are referred to as sons of God because the son in Jesus' day was the one who received the inheritance. And so there's no distinction between male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. All who trust in Jesus for their salvation are regarded as sons of God, but not begotten, because Jesus is the only begotten, which means he is of one substance, one essence of the Father. We instead are adopted children brought into the family of God by the waters of baptism or through coming to faith when we hear Holy Scripture and its wonderful promises of the forgiveness of sins because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now it says the two disciples heard him say this, and so they began to follow Jesus. Now Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And said to him, Rabbi. Now the word rabbi is even defined by Luke chapter 1, verse 36, uh, 35, 37, as teacher. And they asked, where are you staying? So they were looking for a teacher to help them understand what John the baptizer meant by Jesus being the Lamb of God. So Jesus said to them, come and you will see. Now, that's an important phrase to put over a church door. We invite everyone to come and see. Now, what does it mean to see? It means that their spiritual eyes will be opened to recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world. And that comes about through faith. So, the disciples go to where Jesus is staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, the 10th hour would be about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And so they're listening to Jesus from 2 p.m. till they left later that day. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Now, Andrew became a disciple of Jesus, but he was also the brother of Simon Peter. 
So what did he do? He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. Now that's the Hebrew word, and it's translated in verse 41 as the Christ. Both Messiah and Christ mean the anointed one, anointed by God the Father to become the savior of the world, to become the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And did you see what Andrew did? He did what the shepherds did after they were told by the angels that in Bethlehem was born the savior of the world. They went, found him, worshiped him, and then they went out and told the people about what they had heard from the angels and the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. This is how the church operates. Now, you don't need to be a pastor to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. Parents do it all the time. They first bring their newborn infants to baptism so that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and with it, that faith. Now, faith is trust in the word of God. It's belief in the promises of God. And that faith is necessary because an unbeliever cannot understand the essence of the Bible apart from faith. It makes no sense to them. But when you have faith, you don't have any trouble believing that a carpenter from Nazareth died on a tree and through that death, our sins were forgiven. We don't have any trouble believing that that carpenter took a bit of bread and fish and fed 5,000 men, including also beyond that, the women and children who were listening to him. Many of the miracles of Jesus make no sense because they seem impossible. But through faith, we nod our heads in agreement because that is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that gift can come to any unbeliever, even an unbeliever like a man named Saul who was persecuting Christians to the point of arresting them and putting them to death. This is what the epistle is about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul says, He was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And that's what he was. Just like you are called to be a disciple 
of Christ Jesus. Until you are called, you don't receive faith. But when you are called and receive that faith, then you are a disciple of Jesus and there will be no longer any death for you. There won't be any death, but I thought Christians even die. Well, we have to understand from God's point of view. Remember when Jesus went to heal Lazarus, he met Martha and said to her, he who believes in me will never die. You see, once you have life, and that's what comes about when you have faith in Jesus, that life will never be taken away. Your body may die, decay in the ground, or whatever, but your spirit will be taken immediately to be with Jesus in heaven, awaiting the day when you will also have your body raised from the dead, as did Jesus on Easter. Rejoin the Spirit and live forever with the Holy Trinity in heaven. So, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 talks about that this letter is to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means that God, through your faith in Jesus Christ, has declared you to be holy, sanctified. This is a wonderful law and gospel description. You are not sanctified by any works you do in obedience to the law, because it's impossible to be perfect in your works. But in regard to your salvation, God declares you to be righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, you are called, according to verse 2, to be saints. The word saint means you are holy in the sight of God. And you are a saint together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is now their Lord and ours. And Paul continues with verse 3. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word grace means that you receive something you do not deserve. What is that? It is that you do not deserve to be called a saint, but you are declared to be a saint through faith in Jesus Christ. And you also receive the peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were the words said by the angels to the shepherds. And they are the first words said by Jesus to the disciples 
on the night of the resurrection when he enters into a locked room and says, peace be to you. What that peace refers to is that God now regards you as his child. You are a saint. You are holy. You are righteous, not because of your works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is that faith? It's trusting in the promises given to him. And those promises are given to you. It's referred to in verse 6 as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's hardly believable that God does not consider you as guilty of your sins. You are not held accountable for those sins. Until the day that you die, you will be held guiltless. Yes, you are guilty of sin, but it is not held accountable to you because it was held accountable to Jesus Christ, who died for your sin. Verse 9 of the epistle. God is faithful, which means he will keep his promises, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What tremendous readings for this second Sunday after the Epiphany to comfort us with the good news. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith, I, Tom Baker, will also discuss the hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.